All right, welcome to Beijing Talk. This is the podcast show brought you by Beijing Ventures. Well, we dive into the world of crypto, blockchain, and the projects shaping the future of finance. I'm your host Michelle, and today we're excited to have a special guest from one of our portfolio projects to discuss their innovative product and the current state of the market. So, in this episode, we'll explore the fascinating world of Florence Finance, a DeFi platform that is. Bridging the gap between on-chain and off-chain ecosystem to fund real-world loans and generate real-world yield, we'll be asking our guests a range of questions from their journey into crypto and driving force behind building this platform to the significance of SME lending and the recent buzz around the real-world assets lending. So we will also discuss Florence Finance plan for the near future and how their project is contributing to the real-world adoption of crypto. And their long-term vision as well. Plus, we will touch on recent banking failure and Coinbase ex-CTO Balaji's view on the potential for hyper-Bitcoinization. So sit back, relax, and join us as we dive into the world of Florence Finance, its unique approach to decentralized finance, and its also impact on rapidly evolving crypto landscape. You won't want to miss this insightful conversation. So hello, Chiel. Nice to meet you here. Nice to be with you, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah.、Um, before we started, I want to know more about your story. So, when did you get into crypto? Sure, sure, sure. So,、um, I'm an engineer by training.、Uh, I spent most of my life in banking.、Um, I、uh, left banking in two, 2015.、Uh, I was doing a lot of restructuring work,、uh, and I had a good friend who was looking to raise money, and he、uh, thought that you know you should do that by an ICO, and this was in 2017, 2018, the ICO craze. And so I actually helped him to do the second only ICO in、uh, the Netherlands,、uh, which at the time was、uh, quite novel and which got me kind of started on my whole、uh, crypto experience.、Uh, Tim, the person in question,、uh, was you know way ahead of me、uh, in、uh, crypto, but he、uh, kind of got me interested, and from then, you know, you kind of fall down the rabbit hole.、Uh, and I think you know in 2019, 2020 is when I kind of really got sucked in, and when、uh, you know the the seeds were sown for Florence. So, how has your perspective on the crypto industry evolved since you first got involved? So, in the beginning,、um, you know, I was very、uh, captured by this novel way of kind of、uh, funding and financing、uh, things, right? I mean, which was what the ICO、uh, craze was、uh, all about. And then、uh, later,、um, you know, I started、uh, doing a lot of thinking about, you know,、uh, banking and the sustainability thereof, and、uh, call it the leverage in the current financial system. Uh, which kind of got me into, you know, the kind of whole gold and, and Bitcoin、uh, corner of、uh, the world, which is where I think my my own investment story in、uh, crypto started. And then、uh, during COVID, when you know there was a little bit of a lull in my kind of professional uh, activity, uh, I did a little bit of work、uh, with the largest exchange in the Netherlands,、uh, and that got me in touch with some people who were kind of early、uh, innovators in the space in the Netherlands, people who had launched their own Layer One. Uh, and had built a bit of wealth in the crypto、uh, ecosystem, and、uh, you know we're looking to create a safe place to store that wealth in the crypto ecosystem, and that's kind of how Florence was born. So you know mine is a journey that was very much、um, you know led by you know、uh, opportunity and just what came across my path, not so much、uh, because I sought it out, but just because it kind of、uh, hit me,、uh, and it's been、uh, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. So opportunities come to you naturally. <laughs> What could I say? <laughs> <laughs> and、um, why don't you just 
uh, invest in crypto and what drove you to build versus just invest? Now that's actually a very good question. Um, so I did invest uh, and I was invested. Um, but um, when I left banking, I had a very uh, deep uh, desire to uh, get my hands dirty, right? I was an investment banker. You're always giving advice. You're kind of always, you know, portraying yourself from the sideline, if you will. You're never in the driver's seat. And when I left banking, I, I kind of made a, a promise to myself that I, I would do something real in the real economy with real companies. And, you know, I wanted to build. Uh, and that's how I got into the call of the restructuring sphere. So helping companies in financial trouble, you know, helping them with uh, my knowledge, but doing that in an executive role. So as an interim manager, so actually getting your hands dirty. And, um, you know, when that uh, quarter dried up a little bit in COVID, because, you know, everybody was either on state or on uh, bank uh, support, uh, you know, I was delving into, you know, my, my own curiosity again in, in crypto. And uh, again, you know, I came across this opportunity and there was the need for somebody to actually do it. You know, there's all these kind of idea people that want to invest and, you know, people that have good ideas. But there's actually always a shortage of people who want to get their hands dirty. And I just happen to be that person. You know, that, that's what I like to do. You know, I'm obviously also an investor, but, you know, the, the, the kick of it is to, to actually build and to do, uh, whether that's the team or the tech or the community, all of it. Building is what really gets my juices flowing. Very interesting. Did you face any challenges while you're building this project? Now, building is always uh, extremely difficult, right? Uh, I think, um, you know, it, it's it's not for everybody, right? And people that don't want to do that, they're probably much better off investing. It's the kind of the lazy way of doing it. Uh, and, and certainly you can probably make more money in crypto by just investing, if you will. Building is the hard way. Uh, but it's, it's what makes me tick. So, you know, there was, for me personally, there's no other way. Uh, challenges, um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard work, uh, but I don't think about uh, challenges per se. I think about, um, you know, showing people what you're about, what, what, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve, being very open and transparent about that. And then uh, people will come to the project or whatever it is you're doing, and they will either take a liking to it or not, right? And, and that's okay. Uh, but what you want to do is you want to surround yourself with people who do have an interest and who do believe in kind of what you're doing or where you're going and, you know, build that kind of, you know, group. And then, you know, you can make things happen. That's, that's what building is all about. And um, I'm sure you spend a lot of time building this project also building your team oh, and the community, <laughs> right? Um, so can you share with us, how did you build your team and community? Yeah. So uh, again, you know, interesting how this uh, works in, in, in my world. So we came together as a bunch of founders who obviously, you know, had a little bit of track record in uh, crypto. Um, you know, I didn't have an awful lot of track record in actually uh, running businesses other than ones that were already existent and, you know, running them as an interim uh, manager. Uh, but basically, because we kind of are all active in the space, uh, we all have, you know, uh, networks of people who have, you know, specific skills. Uh, whether that's uh, programming, uh, you know, front end, back end, full stack, solidity, uh, you name it, or whether it's uh, marketing or design or you know, all these kinds of things. And so, again, it's this process of uh, telling people what you're trying to do, how you're trying to do it, uh, letting them kind of in uh, and then getting a feel for each other and figuring out whether, you know, there's a fit and we want to contribute. And in that way, in a very organic way, if you will. We've built uh, a very small uh, but loyal kind of full-time uh, team. And around that, a, a larger group of people who contribute on a regular basis. So, you know, the, it's a very tight group. Uh, we don't kind of, you know, add new people all the time. We kind of always go back to the same people because they know what we're doing and it's worked well before. And slowly but surely kind of just uh, grow 
the people that are contributing, if you will. I see it very much as a collaborative uh, effort. Um, so I'm sure a small group of team work together really well because you guys definitely trust each other and know each other's ability. It's better yeah. to work. Yeah, but that grows over time, right? So I mean, if you're yeah. building a team, especially in crypto, you know, and it's it doesn't have a centralized office, we're located all over the world. You know, the team is scattered uh, across uh, Colombia, Germany, the Netherlands, uh, the UK, France. Um, so you know, we get together maybe twice a year uh, at an offsite. So you have to, you know, work quite hard to actually get to know each other and to get a feel for each other. But, you know, if, if everybody's kind of working on it full time, then that happens naturally. And I think we've been extremely fortunate uh, to find people who have naturally found what we're doing and also working together uh, of interest to them. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. And uh, what is the fascination with SMEs and solving their funding issue? <laughs> well, this, this goes back to my... Uh, call it, you know, as an investment banker, you were always, always focused on kind of the top 50, you know, companies in a certain uh, jurisdiction. So, you know, the big multinationals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when I vowed to kind of step away from that and to get my hands dirty, I very much wanted to uh, do that at the opposite end of the spectrum. So, you know, in the SME space. And that's also where, you know, a lot of the restructuring work that I did uh, was kind of focused. And in doing that, I, I really learned uh, that, uh, you know, I, I, that fascination for that part of the economy which you know, I previously had very little uh, to do with and uh, a lack of appreciation for. Uh, but once you get into that, you start to realize you know, that you know, most of most Western economies is actually uh, run and most of the employment is generated and most of the GDP is generated through SMEs. You know, most Western economies, it's like 60% of GDP. Um, so you know, once you start to appreciate that and you layer on top of that this realization that there is this bifurcation in the financial markets, uh, between those that do and those that don't have, uh, you know, access to institutional uh, financing markets, then, you know, there is this very obvious problem, which I call the SME funding problem, which uh, needs to be addressed. So, you know, when we started thinking about building a safe haven, call it savings uh, asset, yield generating asset, uh, to me, uh, it was very obvious to kind of focus on an area that I was sure you know, needed uh, funding because obviously, you know, TradFi, the banking market, um, you know, for all of its 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 bad uh, aspects, you know, does serve the part of the market that it serves quite well and quite efficiently. So you kind of compete with them head on is nonsensical if you're building a new business. So you kind of want to pick a spot where you know they, for whatever reason, choose not to be very active, and you know that is the SME space. So it is both. You know my own love and, and and passion for it, but also the kind of market opportunity in that space that drove you know our focus on SME funding. Yeah. Um. So your role, you worked in TradFi before, so you think SME play a very important role in our large economy, and that's why you want to really supporting them. Uh, yes. So can you share? A successful story or like any unique case where your platform has made a significant difference for uh, SME? So I would argue that all of the loans that we have made to date, uh, and you know, they're not that many yet because we're still mm -hmm. kind of in, in startup ramp up phase, uh, make a difference because um, the companies that typically, you know, come to us are companies that for whatever reason are not being serviced by you know the mainstream banks 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that can be for a whole bunch of reasons. But the misperception is that because that has to do somehow with the fact that they uh, would not be as good uh, credits as they should be in order to be serviced by those banks. What is actually happening is that uh, the banks are basically shying away from the SME space because it's hard work, it's too complicated. And what they do is they can't shy away from it completely because that would get them into trouble with the regulators. So they just try to standardize the offering that they have for those companies. And so if you don't fit into that straitjacket, you're basically excluded. So, you know, those people are typically, they they have to look at alternative uh, funding, you know, avenues. And we uh, provide an alternative source of funding to those alternative funding avenues, which is you know, broadly defined as fintech borrowing, right? So these are existing fintech borrowers and they each have their own niche or speciality, uh, which they lend to. So whether it's working capital finance or asset-based finance or factoring or all these kinds of things. And basically all these fintechs, they've been around, they service a, a very specific need, which was created you know, when the banks started retracting from SMEs uh, after the great financial crisis. Uh, but they all struggle with the same thing, which is funding. And so if we can provide an alternative source of funding for these players through crypto, through stable coins, uh, that is also countercyclical in a way to the ebb and flow of the normal uh, funding market through the institutional financing market, which is interesting. You know, crypto has a countercyclical uh, element uh, to it. You know, when crypto is booming, there's very little leverage in crypto. Uh, and crypto, you know, happens to boom at the same time that the tradfi markets uh, boom. Uh, but when uh, crypto is not booming, uh, and you know that happens to coincide when tradfi markets are also not booming, then what happens is people retract the stable coins, and there's actually a lot of liquidity in crypto, which can then be used in order to generate a yield and to fund uh, these platforms. So it is this combination and this weird counter-cyclical nature of the crypto and the stablecoin market, which we seek to exploit in order to help solve only partially to, you know, the SME funding problem through existing fintech players. Perfect. You can see this opportunity and combine those two elements together, which solve yeah. a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. And then once that light kind of, you know, we had the aha lateness, then it was just about you know building it and convincing other people that this was a good idea. I'm sure there are a lot of successful stories to share. And my next question is, uh, why is RWA lending getting so much airtime recently? Yeah, this is also it's interesting to me, right? So when we started building this, um, we started building it because you know we thought it was a good idea. This is pre you know RWA's uh, becoming fashionable. And certainly when we started to build, you know, the big uh, kind of struggle that we had in our own minds was how are we ever going to compete with, you know, the call it APRs and APYs that were being generated in some of these call it, you know, uh, pure crypto um, platforms, you know, whether it uh, be Luna or BlockFi or Celsius or whatever. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, all of that has kind of, you know, either blown up or, or gone away. And now all of a sudden what we are doing uh, which was deemed very unsexy at the time, is starting to look you know, less uh, unsexy and maybe even a little bit sexy. I think the other part to the whole RWA thing becoming en vogue at the moment is that you know, I think crypto happens in uh, waves of adoption. So you started with you know, a bunch of geeks with their internet money you know, experimenting, and then some people who kind of you know, could use that technology but didn't have access to normal payment rails started to 
you know, abuse it, if you will. So you ended up with Silk Road and, you know, payment platforms for all kinds of people that didn't have access to the banking network, which, you know, we can all have an opinion on. But the reality is it did allow, you know, crypto to kind of be tested at a, at a, at a larger scale and certainly proved to everybody in Sundry that this stuff, you know, actually worked, you know, maybe not for the purpose that people would want it to, but it, it did work. And so, you know, the next phase was uh, basically, you know, DeFi, DeFi summer, building on top of that thing that worked, you know, primitives, uh, financial Lego blocks uh, that could then be used to kind of build, you know, what would be the future of finance. Uh, the issue was that all of those financial Legos were very much kind of tested in an environment uh, that was geared mostly towards, call it speculative, you know, trading. Um, you know, and that came with it with its own form of uh, excess. I think the, the 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 you know, if you take a step back, the good news is that we got to test all of these these Legos, these protocols at scale. You know, with huge volume, uh, and uh, you know, with some pretty big stress moments in terms of volatility. Uh, and so, notwithstanding the fact that the use case might not have been, you know, what people think is useful for the real economy. Uh, I don't think there was a better way in which to test at scale, you know, some of these protocols. So now, you know, having gone through all of that, you know, obviously also having a few blowups along the way, et cetera, et cetera, we have, you know, uh, decentralized exchanges, we have, you know, automatic market makers, we've got uh, derivatives uh, on chain, we've got all of these fantastic elements that have been tried and tested at scale. And so now the next wave of adoption is going to be to take these Legos and to plug them into the real world. And one of the things that you need in order to build a kind of functional financial system is you need yield and you need yield curves. I need, you need term structure in uh, the yield curve. So I personally think that the next wave is going to be all about bringing real world assets with real world yield uh, on chain and combining that with um, native yield so you know staking yield of you know uh, proof of stake type uh, protocols and that whole ecosystem is going to you know build a very specific you know crypto uh, native uh, yield um, yeah curve slash uh, area uh, on which you know the whole future of crypto and in my mind also the future of finance is going to be built because you know crypto rails and some of the elements that uh, we've built, you know, whether it be stable coins or, you know, some of these new decentralized protocols are just superior to, you know, what we have in the TradFi fractional reserve banking system. You know, and that is becoming very clear also with what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. So I think RWA is just, um, you know, one of the elements that is going to drive the next wave uh, of adoption. And, you know, SME is a small fraction of that uh, RWA. You know, it can be real estate. It can be, uh, you know, listed securities that are going to be brought on chain. And the world is just going to be tokenized. And, you know, the whole world is going to run on crypto rails. Great. You just uh, predict a little bit future trend. And uh, what are your plans for the near future? Your project or your plan? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so there's obviously lots of plans, right? So for now, mm -hmm. um, you know, we are still kind of really building the, the basic functionality uh, of our protocol. And uh, that's sort of complete. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, we are going to be opening up the project to uh, third party liquidity. So, you know, and now everybody in Sundry can kind of access uh, the protocol, um, you know, put stable coins into the protocol to earn uh, real world yield. And hopefully in doing so, we'll be able to scale uh, the TVL and scale 
the actual lending operations, add more lending partners, and become a bigger contributor to that SME funding gap. Uh, firstly, in the Netherlands, because it's my backyard, it's kind of where I grew up and it's where I know most of these uh, parties and have access to them. Uh, but through the partners that we already have, I think it's going to be very easy to kind of scale that uh, in uh, Europe. So the UK is very much uh, kind of next in line. And I'd love to also at some point go a little bit further afield uh, to get, you know, some richer yields. And whether that is, uh, call it more Eastern Europe or, or maybe even Turkey, or whether we go, you know, further afield to Southeast Asia. Those are all things that we kind of want to uh, consider on merit. Uh, but first, it's about scaling it and, and making sure that we get the, the basics uh, right. So that's the near-term future. And then the longer-term future, you know, obviously, uh, we would love this uh, whole protocol to actually become decentralized. Right, right now, it probably qualifies more as a kind of CFI uh, project. Uh, but, you know, what we want to do is we want to make it community-led. It should be, a, you know, a, an on-chain community-led bank uh, and, you know, lending service. Uh, and that's going to take a lot of time and that's going to take a lot of investment. Uh, and, you know, that's what we're here for. Oh, that's a great hope for the future. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and how does your project drive real world adoption of crypto? So it is my view that, um, you know, crypto is still for most people um, a bit scary, right? I mean, for those of us that are in it uh, every day, you know, we sign transactions and we, we do stuff on chain and we have, you know, hardware wallets. But, you know, I think for your average uh, mom and pop, uh, this is still a long way away from becoming uh, mainstream. Um, in order to really drive adoption, I think we need to make it more mainstream. And I think one of the ways of doing that is to have financial products that are investable for mainstream. So, uh, I think of Florence Finance as an alternative to putting your money in a money market fund. And there where in America, it's very easy to put your money in a money market fund if you don't want to put it in a bank. In Europe, there are actually very few of such uh, you know, investment uh, vehicles. And so if you're not getting interest on your bank account, you either have to go you know, a lot further out on the risk curve, i.e. actually make investments in you know, risky equities or bonds, uh, and there's no real kind of, you know, blended fixed income type uh, product that is readily available. And uh, Florence, I think, is an answer to that problem, which is a very, you know, Euro specific uh, one. Uh, and it kind of hits a whole bunch of birds with one stone. You're solving the SME funding gap. You're getting a diversified uh, portfolio of yield, which is higher than what you could get on, you know, government bonds. And yet, because it's diversified, you know, hopefully from a credit perspective, uh, it's not that much worse. Uh, and it is something that, you know, is not readily available in uh, Europe. So I think that could drive, you know, people that are currently not in crypto and wouldn't normally get into crypto to buy, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, but just want a better savings product to come into crypto. And so I do think it is very interesting to drive, you know, real world uh, adoption from a sector of the market, which, you know, wouldn't necessarily be first in line to get into crypto. Yeah, I'm very glad to see a project like Florence Finance can help everyday pop and moms to get into crypto and to solve their problem. But they still have some concerns. They will ask some question like, yeah, what if the SME cannot get funding from bank? How do I make sure uh, you do the um, proper credit assessment to make sure um, uh, this investment is safe? 
Yeah. So how does your platform employee credit assessment method to effectively evaluate borrowers? Right. So right now, we depend very much on uh, the partners through which we lend, uh, and they do a lot of the credit work. Now, bear in mind, these are existing parties that kind of, this is their, their bread, and, bread and butter. This is what they do for a living, and they do it no differently for us than they would do it, you know, if they were doing it for, for somebody else or for themselves. Um, and, you know, a lot of this stuff is relatively standardized. You know, you've got uh, Moody's uh, risk metrics uh, calculations and you can kind of grade uh, these credits. And then, you know, there's pricing matrices. So, you know, uh, better credits get a little bit better pricing and worse credits, you get a little bit higher yield. And then the trick about all of this is to not go, you know, single name, but to build a portfolio of these uh, credits. Uh, so that, you know, if you're going to build a, a portfolio of SME credits, you know, in, in SME land, you are probably going to have a little bit higher uh, default rates than you would in, you know, an investment grade uh, credit uh, portfolio. But on average, you will also get a higher yield. And so as long as those default percentages are more than offset by the higher yield and you have a properly diversified uh, portfolio, then actually, you know, these SME portfolios uh, should be as good or better than, you know, uh, a concentrated investment grade uh, portfolio. And that is our thesis. It is a thesis which is very hard to prove because there's not a lot of data, because a lot of the lending to the SME space actually happens through banks uh, in Europe. And, you know, they obviously don't divulge a lot of that data, but having worked at uh, banks and also working with our partners that, you know, basically all come out of the banking business, we know that this is actually one of the big corks on which, you know, the banks float. So the SME lending portfolio is usually one of the best performing in their book. And so, you know, if we take a small part of that, we do the same or better homework that the banks would do. Uh, we are just, you know, picking off stuff that they can't necessarily fit into the straitjacket, which they have had to self-define in order to limit the amount of work that they want to do on this specific sector. Then we think we can actually build portfolios that have better risk reward than, you know, alternative credit uh, assets uh, in, you know, the same geography. Great, because uh, a lot of. Um like a real world investor or um, everyday mom and pops, they have concern about crypto world, right? crypto investments. And, yes, um, and I think the trick with all of that is it's about disclosure, right? It's about showing mm -hmm. the, that people are actually uh, getting what it says on the tin. And this is what the banks don't do, right? So you deliver yeah. your money to the bank and they go out and they borrow to a whole bunch of SME and they never tell you how much money they make doing that. You know, you just get your interest on your savings account or on your deposit uh, account which is you know, a far cry from what they make on the SME uh, lending portfolio. In our portfolio, you know, the amount of money that we make on each and every loan is completely transparent. The amount of, uh, or the work that we do on the loan is completely transparent. Over time, mm -hmm. what we will wanna do is we will want to work with the actual uh, lending partners to put as much of the data on the underlying credit on a chain or at least make it public through our platform so that um, I don't think, you know, people are actually going to do the credit work. I don't expect people coming to our platform to do the credit work themselves. But what they should be able to do is to ascertain whether it's being done properly, if they're so inclined, right? And with a bank, that is simply impossible. But it's certainly my ambition to kind of make that as transparent as possible. Um, and to show people that, you know, what you see is what you get, right? I am making these loans 
We are making them in the best way that we can. We're trying to assess in the best way that we can whether these are good loans, which is not to say that, you know, if you're going to write a bunch of SME credits, you know, you won't have uh, some credit uh, mishaps. But, you know, everybody will know what we're up against. And over time, we will hopefully be able to prove that, you know, the work that we do and the credits that we select, you know, perform as good or better than what you could get by holding either government or, you know, investment grade uh, credit. And I think that is a very doable thing. And the more transparent we make it, uh, the better it's going to be. But, you know, somebody has to do the credit work. And, you know, right now that happens through our partners. And so right now there's a, a banking system issue happening right now. And people, I'm not sure if people still have faith or trust in banking system because they use your money and to invest in lower risk bond. Um how, how do you use technology, like blockchain technology, to make sure uh, their investment is transparent and safe? Yeah, so the, the, the blockchain technology plays very little role in actually uh, judging or selecting the credits. Where it plays a very big role is um, to verify that the money that we take from investors gets transferred one-to-one -one into actual loans. And there's no additional leverage, no fractional reserve, nothing gets lost in the cracks, there's nobody skimming off the top, yeah? And to be able to show on chain exactly what mm -hmm. happens to each dollar of interest that is earned. Now, obviously, you know, if we're gonna build the platform, then we're gonna have to take a little bit of that interest and, you know, uh, give it back to the platform in order to grow the platform. So we won't be able to, you know, pass through all of the interest earned but to be able to be completely transparent about you know, how the interest is earned, so your dollar goes in and we fund loan A and loan B and loan C, you can see the loans, you can see the interest on each and every loan, you can calculate the blended interest, you can see how much interest goes to the platform, how much interest goes to the actual funders, and there's kind of no noise in that equation, and all of it is hyper-transparent. I mean, that is, that is completely revolutionary. I mean, it's the exact polar opposite of what a bank is, where you put your money in, you have no idea what's happening. All you know yeah. is that it's, you know, it's a huge levered you know, machine. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're lucky, you know, if you go back there, you know, they'll have your money. But if you're unlucky and they've screwed it up, then the money's gone and you know, the government and the taxpayer has to bail you out if you're lucky. And otherwise, they kind of bail you in and you don't get your money back. And that, to me, is that opaqueness compare, uh, in combination with the whole concept of leverage and fractional reserve is what you know makes banking such a profitable business, such an interesting business uh, as a banker, right? Uh, but it makes it a completely untenable as a funder. And so, you know, I think, you know, especially with, with with what's been happening in recent weeks in the U.S., you know, we're getting to a point where people are starting to realize that you know this is not a good idea. And in the U.S., like I said before, you know, people have a very easy and readily available alternative, which is money market funds. Uh, but, you know, those don't exist in Europe, no, not in, in kind of, you know, it's, it's hard because not every country has that uh, and there's no euro uh, bond market that has uh, that kind of access uh, readily available to retail investors. And so people have to kind of come up with different answers. And that's kind of what we are trying to do. And we think doing that in crypto, doing it without leverage and correct reserve is the right way forward. And when people start to realize it, as in the US, they're already doing it. It's just they're going to money market funds, not, you know, something like Florence Finance. Um, you know, uh, people will opt out of that, you know, fractional reserve system. I'm pretty sure of it. And I, I think it's happening at the moment. 
Um, and what is the long-term vision for Florence Finance? Yeah, so the long-term vision is to create um, a, a kind of a safe haven type asset uh, class um, through solving real-world funding issues, right? So right now it's focused on SMEs. Um, there are other projects that uh, focus on emerging markets and uh, microfinance, which I think is another area that, you know, deserves uh, attention and is a very, you know, valid cause, if you will. And there are plenty of others out there in uh, the, the call it, you know, funding uh, arena that are underserviced by the current banking service. And it's a very natural, uh, you know, place to start uh, because you don't want to uh, compete head on with banks. But as we grow and as this, you know, gains traction, uh, and as funds flow from the traditional financing system and from the banking system into these, you know, unlevered, unfractionally reserved lending platforms that solve, you know, real-world lending uh, needs, um, you know, that market can grow, and I think it will slowly but surely cannibalize, you know, what is today TradFi. So, you know, I think it is a a slow process. I'm not, I, I'm not a big buyer of that, you know, being happening in a big bang type uh, moment. Uh, and, you know, it'll take time. But, um, you know, once it gets going and once people see the merits of it and once they start to understand why and how it's so much better and the fact that they can actually get more, uh, not less uh, interest and rewards uh, out of a system that is constructed in a better way, just because you're basically taking out the middleman, that is, you know, the, the innovation, if you will, and you're replacing that with technology, with blockchain and with transparency, then, you know, I think it's inevitable that this wins. It's, it's better. So um, after you talk about your long-term goal, right, let's talk about uh, the current affair on the market. So uh, what do you make the recent banking uh, failures and uh, Bellagio's take that we're on the verge of hyper-Bitcoinization? Yeah, so I think this is, I think it's absolutely fascinating what's happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. And there where, um, you know, I'm not sure whether all your viewers will be aware, where Balaji basically made a bet that Bitcoin would go to a million dollars within 90 days. Uh, and he made that bet probably about a week and a half ago. And when he made and that he bet... And he put two million USDC into Bitcoin. Right, right, right. He made it with two yeah. counterparties, right? So he, he said, I'll make it with this uh, Malone character, Dr. Malone. And he said, I'll make it with some one other person as well. So he put up $2 million. And uh, they're still trying to structure the exact, uh, you know, nature of that that deal. But but the bet in its, in and of itself is uh, extremely interesting. Not because I think it will come true. I'm not actually the biggest buyer of uh, hyper Bitcoinization, but uh, knowing Balaji and having contributed to some of his uh, projects in the past, um, you know, this is uh, somebody who's extremely smart. And uh, what I think he's doing is, in a very visible way, he is putting his his finger on what is an extremely sore spot uh, at the moment. And that sore spot is the actual fragility of the traditional financing system, which you've seen firsthand uh, in the last couple of weeks in the US with some of these smaller and regional banks. Um, and I, for one, don't believe for a second that you know, what we're being told and what you're seeing you know, in the mainstream media is you know, half of what is going on. And I am quietly convinced that if a lot smaller group of people than people think would to actually, you know, put, uh, you know, actions into taking money out of the existing system and, you know, sticking it into Bitcoin or, or gold for that matter. It doesn't really matter, but taking it out of the system, uh, how easily we could prove the fragility of that system. Now, whether or not that will result in Bitcoin going to a million dollars is a kind of different matter. 
But I think Balaji's point is extremely well made, that people should realize how fragile it is. And the more people start to think about that, uh, the better it is. And if we can actually prove it by doing it, so by actually taking money out, which is happening en masse in the US, by going to the money market funds, but you know, in reality, then it's it's a closed system. So it's still in the system. If you actually take it out, so you take it, you know, to um, you know, put it into gold or you put it into physical gold or you put it into Bitcoin or you put it into, you know, other crypto uh, native assets, then, um, you know, my guess is we could see a lot more, you know, fragility in the banking system. And I think, you know, Balaji or nor I, you know, want uh, to get to a place where the whole thing kind of, you know, burns. Uh, but uh, I think to have people think about this and to kind of put one-on-one -on -one together, so to see the fragility and to see how easy it is to push, you know, large institutions in the US uh, to that point and to see that the mess that it creates on the other hand, right? So, you know, in first instance, it was deemed that, you know, they would just, you know, sell uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature to a willing buyer you know, and there'd be a small write-off. But, you know, the actuality is that they took a huge bath on both of those banks uh, because of the way in which uh, those sales were structured and because of what was found, you know, in those loan books when people actually did the diligence. And so, you know, I think it is a very just cause that Balaji is fighting, whether or not the bet is the right way to do that, that kind of put neither here nor there. And I think people should take notice of uh, that fragility and uh, that which is proven. And, you know, I personally think more people should, you know, at least have uh, a plan B, which is, you know, have some or, you know, a small part of your net assets or your wealth or your savings or your deposits, you know, uh, outside of uh, the traditional banking uh, system. Uh, and, you know, take your pick, pick your poison, do it in a way that, you know, you are comfortable with. I, you know, I don't advocate any particular cryptocurrency, uh, but, you know, to do that with a little bit, I think is a good idea. And if a lot of people did that, I'd be, I think you'd be surprised at the impact that could have. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, unpredictable things that uh, we didn't realize. And um, so a lot of noise around crypto world. So what is your advice for investors uh, on risk management? Hmm. So this is a, a different uh, question, right? So this is, you know, the current amount of noise around crypto is obviously uh, reached, you know, stratospheric highs with, you know, Coinbase, you know, the, the most regulated and regulator friendly uh, entity in the crypto space, even being uh, sued or, or you know, uh, sent a Wells notice, uh, you know, and, and various other players or basically all of the players uh, have been served some kind of notice or in some kind of... Uh, uh, legal uh, procedure with either the SEC or the CFTC, which, you know, is troublesome as a, as a crypto, uh, you know, uh, builder uh, and as a believer. Uh, you'd like to think that, you know, uh, regulators would give us a little bit of space uh, to experiment and to, uh, you know, build uh, the financial systems of uh, the future. So, you know, I don't think this is good news by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I also think this genie can't be put back into the bottle. And, you know, the reality is that, uh, you know, even though there might be a lot of stuff that happens in the crypto sphere, which we probably don't uh, want and which, uh, you know, regulators are right to focus on and to try to eliminate, um, you shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So we have to be careful to kind of separate, you know, all the, the scams and the, and the bad things that happen from uh, the useful innovation uh, that happens. As an investor, Look, I think uh, crypto is still 
you know, a very uh, nascent and uh, risky asset class. And, uh, you know, people, I think, should be quite cautious uh, when you go into that, you know, stick to the larger protocols, stick to things that you have an affinity with and, you know, size your investments uh, so that, you know, if the regulators do do something, which we hope they wouldn't, or, uh, you know, we do hit a, a huge soft patch, uh, that it's not the end of your uh, world. That said, I am a huge bull on what is happening in crypto, uh, notwithstanding all the fud that's out there at the moment. I think, you know, the innovation that's happening in the various ecosystems is uh, massive. And I also think that, you know, uh, we have yet to see what crypto can do for, call it the disenfranchised part of the globe that doesn't have access to first world, you know, traditional banking rails. I like to call it the global south. And I think you're going to be surprised in the next, uh, you know, bull market, how much adoption is going to be driven by that global south. You know, the reality is a lot of the, you know, the, the, the protocols and the teams and the, the projects are, are all, you know, Silicon Valley uh, led and very, you know, Western European or Northern Hemisphere, you know, China, Japan, a uh, little bit of Southeast Asia. But, you know, the people that really need uh, a lot of this crypto stuff is, you know, emerging markets, you know, places with uh, rampant inflation and uh, bad governance and, and failing banking systems. And I think they are starting to cotton on and I think it's going to be huge in the next wave. All right. Thank you so much for addressing all the topics and providing valuable insights. So we truly appreciate your time and your expertise that your project is playing a crucial role to bridging the gap between traditional finance and the crypto ecosystem to providing a new opportunities for both SMEs and investors. So now let's move on to our closing remarks and wrap up this in enlightened conversation. Well, I want to thank you again for uh, having me. We are very keen to uh, kind of uh, reach out also to uh, the Asian uh, crypto uh, community. Uh, we're very proud to have kind of Bixin uh, on board with our project uh, from the very start. Uh, and so wonderful to be here and to be able to explain uh, what we're doing and uh, also share a little bit of my personal uh, story with uh, your audience. All right, thank you so much for joining us today on Bixing Talk. It's been a pleasure having this insightful conversation uh, with Chiu about Florence Finance. Uh, its impact on um, crypto and DeFi space, and it's a very exciting future ahead. So we really appreciate your time and expertise, and we wish you and your team and your project the best of luck in your continued uh, endeavors. To our listeners, Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you found this discussion and conversation as fascinating as we did. So stay tuned for more episodes of Vision Talk, where we'll continue to explore the world of crypto and innovative projects in the industry. Until next time, take care and keep exploring the exciting possibilities in the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Bye. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Chill.